They want it to be okay. And then you see the person who's taking care of them ends up having the reaction that you think the person who has dementia would have. And that is the thing that makes it so complicated and so painful. Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm Clarissa Cruz, EW's executive editor, joined as always by my co-host, David Canfield, EW's movie editor. Hi, David. Hi, Clarissa. Today, we've got two very special guests in Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth, who play longtime lovers in the new film, Supernova. They chatted with David about their work in the movie, as well as their real life love story. But before we get into that, today we're going to discuss the TV side of the Golden Globe and SAG nominations, which included both plenty to cheer and complain about. To help break it down, we've enlisted the small screen expertise of our TV editor, Jared Hall. Hi, Jared. Hello. So happy to be here with both of you. Happy to have you. We need you. We don't know oh. anything about TV. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, please. You guys know more than you think, but God, you're so right. Like so much to cheer and complain about this year. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, like in terms of the, the top contenders, the ones that really did well, um, the shows that I watched, I just started watching The Queen's Gambit, which mm. I think is so fantastic. I'm probably the last person in the country to watch that show. Um, but what else sort of stuck out to you as having done really, really well and, um, and being sort of heavyweights going into the races? Yeah, I think uh, all of the nominations for The Crown are very well-deserved. And by the way, and I oh, I hate saying this, I was a very latecomer to The Crown, and I just binged all four seasons together, like right when four came out. So uh, it was actually a little jarring going directly from um, uh, Claire Foy right into Olivia Coleman. I felt oh, like yeah. I should have given myself some time for that just the visual transition but my god is olivia coleman good she's yeah, so she's good so everybody's good. so good emma corin who like has come out of nowhere and took on this role and it's not a little role like to play princess diana i, I can't imagine like how daunting that was to her and you know she she can do the you know the press tour and say like oh you know I, you you don't want to like take on the pressure you felt that pressure. I, there's no way you could not feel it. But uh, yeah, so I think The Crown is deserving of everything. It got Ozark. The more that show goes on, the more uh, people love it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, on, on the comedy side, Schitt's Creek, its final season. We, of course, know what happened at the Emmys, that kind of uh, historic gargantuan win for them in those top seven categories. And then the one that we all at EW have just fallen in love with. And the more we talk about it, I'm, I'm starting to see other people on social media talk about it. Ted Lasso is just, <laughs> I mean, what can you say about that show that hasn't already been said? It's just uh, what a, like a, a beautiful show that we all need right now. Um, so the timing of that release couldn't have been better. And, and I'm so glad to see both of these awards bodies recognized it. I mean, obviously, and you made mention of this, Chits Creek got so much Emmy's love. Do you think that that's going to affect its chances for for Golden Globes because because it got so much before? Yeah, you know what's funny, and and I was speaking with our TV critics uh, Darren Frenich and Kristen Baldwin about this too. Is that when it comes to the Globes, 
they can be so unpredictable and they kind of do what they want. Um, and they've had opportunities to recognize Schitt's Creek in the past. Uh, the Emmys did as well. You know, the show was on for six seasons and it really didn't start getting all of that awards love until uh, they started getting Emmy nominations maybe in season four, but definitely season five. Um, mm -hmm. So not not to say that the Globes are kind of like, oh, we, we have to nominate this show because look at you know all the nominations they just got. The, all of those actors in the show, I think, are very well deserving. But I, I don't know that it's going to win at the Globes. I, I mm -hmm. think, um, I mean, it, it's kind of wild to think that Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara have never been nominated before at the Globes, especially like they've done such great comedy work on the film side as well. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm going to not go so far as to say that they will win at the Globes. They very well could at the SAG Awards though, um, because it's, it's their peers and their peers know how great and how funny they are. I think if anyone wins there, it'll be Eugene or, or Catherine. They could, they, though, I think they could take that ensemble award. They love the shiny new thing, right? The Golden Globes. I mean, I yeah. remember when Amazon was like a fledgling um, <laughs> streaming player and they gave, I think they gave best comedy series to Mozart in the Jungle or something <laughs> like that. Yep. So they, they definitely seem to lean in that direction. And that's why I am crossing my fingers for Ted Lasso here because it mm -hmm. is, you know, a new player in Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, so it seems to check all of their boxes. Um, but another thing you mentioned, Jared, was, you know, how they kind of di differ from the Emmys sometimes. And one show that they nominated uh, in more categories than the Emmys did was The Great with um, Elle Fanning. That got in, and SAG as well, I think that it got into Best Ensemble. Mm -hmm. uh, was that just maybe a case of that show uh, building buzz? I have not seen that show, although yeah. I love Nicholas Holt. It's um you know it, it got uh, Emmy nominations I believe for it was just for writing they they may have obviously got you know some other craft awards but um in terms of uh, the you know the quote unquote big awards that was uh, the biggest one they got the writing on it is fantastic Tony McNamara who you know won an Oscar for the favorite right uh he's his writing on this is is so good and it's um it's kind of in the way that Emily Dickinson um. You know, it's it's modern um, language, modern dialogue, but still obviously the the setting of when Emily Dickinson was alive. The Great kind of does some of that. It's it's very snarky. It's very punchy. It's very witty. And Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt uh, just deliver this like, you know, they wrote it themselves. It, it seems like it comes very easy to them. There's a lot of huzzah in it. Um, <laughs> they, literally, they say that a lot. Um, it's It's a lot of fun and it's a beautiful show. Um, and, and I, I definitely recommend watching it. It was one that I didn't think I was going to like, and actually did quite a lot. Mm. I'm also curious about some of the shows that did, did not make it. I think the big headline mm. out of the globes this year was in a way, once again, the lack of, of black shows and black talent nominated, yep. they did nominate love clap. Lovecraft Country for Best Drama Series, but neither of its stars, Jonathan Majors yep. or Journey Smollett, were nominated in the acting categories. Uzo Aduba had just won Emmy for Mrs. America. She was not nominated. Um, and on and on. And last year, infamously, they did not nominate Watchmen, which, of yep. course, ended up sweeping the Emmys and Critics Awards. Clarissa and I talked a little bit about this on the film side last week because it was a problem there, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um what do you think is going on there? Well, okay. Um, 
I mean, I was going to say this might be a wild theory. I don't know how wild it is. Um, I think there are some topics of some of these shows, Lovecraft Country, Watchmen, and not to say that racism and slavery is something that is uh, contained to the United States, but these stories that they're telling in these two shows in particular are very inherent uh to the United States, if that makes sense, and, and our experience in America. And it makes me wonder if there's a little disconnect for the um, Hollywood Foreign Press Association uh, in that way. That's not to say they shouldn't be able to recognize a good story when there's a good story. Obviously, they they recognize good performances. Um, but I, I, I think that may be some of the disconnect. Of course, there's a lot of talk sometimes about, uh, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press, they only, you know, they they nominate like the big stars who they want to be there. Well, in that case, Regina King should have been there last year um, mm -hmm. or, or Watchmen. Um, but I don't know. That's that's the best I can come up with. Maybe it just. It, I don't know if just from the outset that there's a lack of appeal, they should still be watching it because um, yeah. that's their job. But I don't know. That's and that, that's the best yeah. I can come up with. It's wild. Uh, but on the flip side, though, I May Destroy You, a British yeah. series, a British actress, and typically, I mean, there there are things we've seen nominated before at the Globes. Uh, you know, British actors get in for something. You're like, where did that come from? It's like, oh, right, they're British. They tend to nominate foreign actors. Even Michaela Cole didn't get nominated, which is wild. Thankfully, the SAG, uh, SAG Awards righted that wrong by nominating her. So... I don't know. I mean, that was the one that really, really got me was Michaela, Michaela? Cole because yeah. that show just on so many levels was so uh, amazing, so well acted. So yeah. it, the themes just resonate this year. All the, I mean, all years, but just, I mean, it, it just was so powerful. And for her who, you know, wrote and, and starred and did and produced and did everything yeah. associated with it. It was just a huge, yeah, it was just, a, uh, I thought that was just a huge snub and very out of touch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, and uh, James Hibbard, uh, one of our, our great writers here, he pointed out all of that too. It's, uh, you know, with the headline, all of these snubs have one thing in common. And when you see the photo, it's, uh, you know, this year it's, it's especially, well, more so on the TV side, Golden Globes, so white. Um, mm -hmm. I believe uh, uh, John Boyega uh, and Don Cheadle are the only um, black actors to uh, get in. Um, there are some other actors who are, uh, you know, kind of multi-racial, uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's just wild to me. I, I don't know. I, you hope and think from one year to the next that they learn their lesson and that they pay attention. Um, I don't know if I May Destroy You just didn't have as big of a push from the HBO side and it wasn't in their faces as much. I kind of find that hard to believe because HBO is pretty good about um, making sure that uh, voting members see um, all of their projects. But I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really baffled by those three in particular. Right. And what, I mean, especially when it comes, I mean, I hate to belabor it, but it's like talking about difficult subject matter and, you know, yeah. a lot of what uh, yeah. I may destroy you was it's about consent and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if we're saying that maybe it was too difficult for the Hollywood foreign or too heavy for the Hollywood foreign press, they gave so much love to uh, Promising Young Woman. Promising which, Young Woman. You know, um, also, and, you know, and also, I believe last year, if I recall, um, there was some love for the Netflix series Unbelievable for Tony Collette. Um, I think all three of those actresses. Were I, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. You can look at that and, and think. 
they they've clearly honored it before um and it and it shouldn't be difficult material but i don't know it's um if anyone from the hollywood foreign press is listening please we want to know what what is going on there it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah i i saw a an emily in paris writer who by the way emily in paris was nominated for best <laughs> uh, comedy and best uh, golden globes, which is the most golden globes thing that could ever happen really is. i watched that show today <laughs> quite happily but still um <laughs> She wrote an op-ed for The Guardian sort of lamenting, I may destroy you getting snubbed. I mean, obviously different categories, but I still mm. thought that was interesting that even someone who was a surprise nominee was like, wait a minute, maybe our priorities should shift a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Well, one other interesting aspect of this year's Golden Globes is that uh, I'm personally being asked about movies and TV alike, where can I see them, which is a first. Because normally, of course, the films are in theaters. We're heading out every weekend to catch up on awards movies. This year, that is not quite the case. I know most EW readers are not comfortable going to movie theaters right now. Mm. I personally am not. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of distributors have had to pivot to streaming releases in addition to a couple movies that have been out for a while. Um, I wanted to ask you, Clarissa, how do you think broadly, and we'll get into the movies because I think we owe our readers a little bit of detail <laughs> where they can watch some of these movies. Right. Um, how do you think that that has impacted the race? I was talking to Joey, our awards expert, offline, and, and he thinks that a movie like Mank, say, uh, which is this big spectacle, <laughs> cinematic, he does not love Mank, that's why you're laughing. <laughs> um, but that, you know, when, when, there's a big difference between putting that in a screening room and sitting uh, in your house and watching yeah. it and trying to connect to it. And I do, and it, it has been underperforming at a lot of precursors, not the Golden Globes, notably. Um, but I wonder if, if stuff like that has had an impact. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. And it's funny, maybe you know this already, but uh, I mean, my experience with Mank, it's funny that you mentioned that one specifically, because, um, you know, seeing it on on my computer, um, which, is, which is how I screened it, I was... I think was definitely a disadvantage in how I took it in because, you know, it was very, let's say, soothing <laughs> and lulling. And, um, and I did, you know, and I assumed that if I were seeing that on a, on a, on a big screen, it would have more impact. It's not that I couldn't appreciate the, the technicality and the artistry of that particular movie because it's gorgeous and, um, and, and, and definitely the performances were great. But I, I do think that that was a disadvantage in, in screening things like this. I mean, and this is as somebody, you know, as, 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 a, as a movie editor, I see a lot of things, you know, at home and not on the big screen. And especially, the, you know, this year, even more so. But, but I think it's also giving an opportunity to these smaller films. And I made this, I made this point at, at our last podcast, but I, I do think uh, more intimate stories and more, um, I guess, character driven and writerly um, projects are getting love um, because it actually is okay if you see this on a smaller screen or on your TV. Very true. And Jared, I'm curious about your perspective, you know, not covering this beat how does award season for the on the movie side like look to you? Are you watching these movies on streaming? Does it feel like the way you cover TV? Like what what has that been experience been like on your end? Yeah, well, I mean, I did cover movies uh, strictly for about ten years um, before coming to EW and then eventually right. transitioning to TV. And it, um, yeah, award season this year feels 
I mean, obviously a lot of the, uh, you know, the luster and all that kind of stuff is gone. We're feeling that, feeling that on the TV side too. I guess maybe what helps a little bit is that we were able to have the Emmys. So there's that feeling of like, no, we should still be like making sure we're watching these things, celebrating them and, and getting behind them. But, um, I'm, I will, I will admit I'm struggling to watch some of the, um, you know, these movies that I should be checking out uh, for Oscar season because when I'm sitting down at the end of a long workday, work week, I'm trying to find things that are fun. And typically Oscar fair isn't, you know, quote unquote, fun movies. They do slip in there. Um, But yeah, I mean, and I know there, I'm sure there, there are great stories and things that I should be watching. Um, That said, I mean, obviously if, if movie theaters were open, I would still be going to check them out. So, um, My, my experience with TV, though, versus movies is it's um, TV. I'm uh, watching a lot of it because I, I obviously have to. But I am finding <laughs> still, though, that a lot of things are um, enjoyable. And I guess it's because I can stop and take breaks when I want to, where you feel a little more compelled to get through a movie right when you're watching it. And right. um, yeah, so I think that's maybe real, like really right now. The only difference for me is is that kind of commitment. Um, when I'm sitting down to watch a movie, I want something fun. I just watched the Pete Davidson movie uh, the other night, King of Staten Island, because it was fun. It's not Oscar fair at all, but um, I needed something fun to watch. And um, and I, you know, got all the way through that. <laughs> I didn't have any problem stopping. But yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, um, Clarissa, with Mank. I, I hit play and five minutes in, I was like, you know what? I can't do it right now. <laughs> it, it was just it was mm-hmm. a, there was a real big mental block that went up right away. It was like, nope, come back to this. Um, and uh, there are definitely some others that happened, but I, I kind of powered through. Um, not because they were bad, but just you know mentally, psychologically, I just like you got to do this. So it's tough this year, though. Yeah, you're less ashamed about falling asleep at home than you are <laughs> falling asleep <laughs> is, in a movie theater. That is. So I've done both. I've done both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It inevitably happens sometimes. Um, I think the the flip side of that, though, particularly if you look at a streamer like Netflix, is beyond Mink. A lot of their movies have, I think, benefited from this being the sort of standard medium of screening. A movie like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or even The Trial of Chicago 7, which felt in aesthetic, and I think our critically agreed Brat wrote this in a review, a very TV movie in its aesthetic. Um, they, they do benefit from that closer view and that, that more intimate investment, as you say, Clarissa. And then um, Defy Bloods, that movie really took off in large part, I think, because of when it premiered in, in June at the height of these Black Lives Matter protests and resonating in such a particular way. And also, we just hadn't had a movie of that scale in so long that even though it was on streaming, it felt like an event, which is such a thing. Um, Clarissa, you and I are both uh, big fans of Riz Ahmed and Sound of Metal. And that one's an interesting example, too, because yeah. Yeah. that premiered in Toronto, what is it, a year and a half ago now? Gosh, it mm. feels and, like 10 years ago. And if that <laughs> if that came out that award season, and I think we even talked about it, it wouldn't really have made much of a dent. I mean, maybe Riz Ahmed gets an Independent Spirit Award nomination or something like that, but it would have been a theatrical release. It would have been a pretty quiet debut, but that movie's a really strong contender across the board right now, in large part because it, it debuted on Amazon and actually got quite a following. Yeah. Um, are there, are there, sorry, go ahead. 
No, no. I mean, I, I just think I that is super interesting. And I think it was really smart to to release it this season um, because it's definitely yeah. getting um, so much um, attention. Um, and and I think watching and I and I talked with Riz about this, I think watching it um, at home sort of was so um, resonant with the subject matter because a big theme in that movie is isolation. Um, you know, yeah. because of, 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 uh, for different sorts of isolation. And, um, and, and I think that was stronger because I did watch it in a theater. I also watched it at home. Um, and I, and I, and I did feel, um, I did feel that it definitely resonated in a different way this time around. Mm. Promising Young Woman's another one that had a huge VOD launch um, after a theatrical release that you may not have even known existed because <laughs> who's really going to movie theaters right now? Um, well, before we take a break, some contenders you can soon stream um, because quite a few movies have not come out yet for the general public. Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, which was on EW's February cover. So we all highly recommend that. We'll hit HBO Max on February 12th. Supernova, uh, for which Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are here today to talk about it, uh, hits uh, VOD on February 16th. On February 19th, our frontrunner Nomadland hits Hulu. That was a sort of late-breaking shift. It was going to be theatrical, but uh, its distributor Searchlight moved it to Hulu um, in order to get at that visibility. And same for the United States versus Billie Holiday, which was set up at Paramount. It is now also a Hulu movie and comes out February 26. And there are a couple more. Um, we're going to have a calendar up on EW.com for you guys to check out all the awards movies and where you can watch them because we know it is very, very confusing. <laughs> we're going to take, take a quick break right now. When we come back, Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are going to talk about Supernova and Falling in Love. Stay with us. Welcome back. Here's our interview with Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth about the film Supernova. Hope you enjoy. I'm joined today by Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth, stars of the film Supernova, in which uh, the pair play a longtime couple forced really to accept that their journey uh, together is coming to an end as Stanley's character um, struggles with early onset dementia. And I wanted to start with you, Stanley. I, I know you got the script for this film first and you sent it straight to Colin. Is that correct? Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> I um, did. Why Colin? <laughs> well, I heard he was, I heard he was a pretty good actor. So I thought, mm, why not? Um, well, no, I, I, you know, we, we have worked together twice, uh, many years ago, but, uh, uh you know, uh, we've always wanted to work together. I, I've always wanted to work with him and, and I, it just seemed, um, it just seemed like the right fit of actor and script. Uh, um, and I, I really felt like Colin would get the tone of everything right. So Colin, how do you say no to Stanley Tucci? I guess you don't. Well, you don't really. Um, that's, that's, and here we are. <laughs> I, um, no, I, I tried to think of every possible reason why I should um, reject it. Um, but uh, funnily enough, it's you know it's not the first time I've been sent something, you know, through a side door, so to speak. Um, but this one it was something very very particular because I I didn't know who the director was uh, on first reading. Uh, I didn't know what I'd be reading, 
the only association I had with it was Stanley. So it had uh, that association on every page for me. This this was uh, something that was wrapped up in Stanley and how I, you know, see Stanley and, and uh, a two-decade-long friendship that we've had. And I couldn't separate it from that. So it was... Um, it, it was very much a notional experience of, of something with uh, this very good friend of mine whose work I admire enormously. Yeah, it's, it's quite a production. Dick Pope, uh, your cinematographer, does gives it this beautiful... Um, be- the scenery is beautiful, but it also has this um, intimacy that is more difficult to capture than it looks. Colin, you mentioned, of course, uh, your, your friendship with Stanley. Um, I'm curious, though... I imagine that informed the dynamic between your characters, but on a deeper level, you're playing a couple that has really spent this lifetime together, and and you see that in every you know look you share and every every silence, as you say. What was it like finding that between you? This this profound um, profound love, really. You know, we, Colin and I have been friends for a very long time, and and <clears throat> and the thing is, we've both been through. When you're our age, you've been through a lot of uh, loss, pain, struggle. Um, And that, when you share that with a friend over many years, um, you become incredibly close. And so our love for each other, our respect for each other, and those, that closeness, that intimacy, informed was all sort of already there a lot of it was already there when you have a a really good friend it it, it is like it's like a it is like a a, a lover it is like a, a a marriage in a way um you're you know every you know a lot about each other things that other people don't know things that even spouses don't know um, and, and that makes you incredibly close. And, and, and what that does is it takes Harry's beautiful, uh, poetic script and the silences, uh, and, uh, that Colin spoke of, <clears throat> excuse me, and the, and the sort of negative space of Harry's script. And it makes us able to fill it very easily. Um, it makes us be able to joke around with each other very easily. So uh, in a way, a lot of our job was already done for us simply by being as close as we are, as we are. Um, the thing is Harry's script just allowed us to articulate it. And Mm. that was, that, that, I mean, that was, it was a gift. Colin, did you find that as well? Um, you know, finding that natural way in? Yes, I mean, I think Stanley has articulated probably everything that I would have said. Um, I, I, it's, um, you know, there's no question. It's a very, we, we're, we're engaged in a very strange profession. Where it's, it's a very peculiar thing to be asked to do. Not just the business of, of pretending to be somebody else and assuming other people's experiences, but the fact that um, it you have to find ways in which it intersects with your own experiences. And you can start off thinking that you're a million miles from the character you take on. And as you uh, explore 
you realize there's more commonality than you thought. And um, you still have to do the job, whether you have 20 years of friendship or not. Um, you know, we're expected to do the job. And if Stanley and I had never met, my hope is that we would have found the same nuances and all this, those, um, those details and arrived at the depth or the semblance of that um, just the same because it's what we're paid to do. I think one of the deceptive things is it's not the, the heart-wrenching stuff that's the biggest challenge technically. It's the light stuff. Uh, that, that's often where I find film's authenticity questionable is when people are just day-to-day moments and they make each other laugh and there's a little banter. That stuff is often forced because it's really hard. Were there aspects of having worked with Colin in this capacity, really, I think it's safe to say for the first time, um, aspect of his process or, or his interplay with you that surprised you as, as an actor? No, no, I wasn't surprised. No, I wasn't surprised. I, I just, um, no, it's always interesting to watch. It's always interesting to watch actors, whether you know them or you don't know them. I mean, when they watch them sort of behind the scenes or whatever. But um, no, I think I wasn't surprised. I was uh, once again impressed by his diligence uh, and his technique, uh, but also his spontaneity and his uh, uh, just, I mean, that's it's just a pretty profound talent. And I'm not saying that just because he's... Because I'm here. Because uh, you're here <laughs> or there or wherever you are. But yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a joy to watch. And I remember when we did Conspiracy, which was an HBO thing we did, that, that was when we first met 20, 20 years ago, um, just about 20 years ago. Uh, I was so impressed with, with him and the way he handled his speeches and um, just with all of it. Uh, and I, and to this day, I mean, you know, making this little movie, I watched it again. It was really pretty cool to see it. It's nice to see it. Yeah. It's exciting. Colin, for you, obviously the dynamic between these two characters is that um, Stanley's is more accepting perhaps of, of the fate of, of this relationship, whereas here's Moore's is trying to hold on. Um, how did you find that dynamic from your perspective working with Stanley, you know, on, on the craft side of it and finding that, that tension between you? I no, no, no longer know how to identify what was inevitably the script and what we found along the way. Um, it's, I suppose that's complicated by the fact that Stan and I started out thinking we were playing each other's roles. So that switch happened um, fairly early on, you know, when I'd been sort of reading through it. And maybe it was already woven into the script that that is how these characters uh, deal with the, the, the pain and, and each other. But I think it could have worked differently. Um, I think Tusker could have been played uh, with less control. Um, mm. And if whoever was playing Tusker had made different choices. Maybe Sam would have been played with a little more, you know? I, I, I don't know. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, the way it came out feels inevitable. Harry sent me a bunch of research that he had done, and I looked at documentaries of people with dementia, which was very hard to. I have no history of it in my family. I have. I, I don't know anyone who's had it. I don't. And it, it it was very very difficult to do the research. It was painful to see, you know, people suffering, but then also their family suffering, and mm. and it's harder, you know. I think particularly when people are, you know, in their. I mean, some of these documentaries, people were in their early fifties, late forties. I mean, yeah. and they just, so to me, it, it was really just about looking at that behavior and making sure that, it, it, that I created it as truthfully as possible. Because the one thing that I thought was so interesting was that if you have dementia, and this particular kind of dementia in the, in the sta at the stage that my character was, when you see people with it, they do what the actor should do, which is play against it and laugh about it even. And then suddenly there'll be a moment where they fall apart. But for the most part, if you say, can you do this with this? You know, if they're filming, the stuff I saw was them like talking to doctors and, <clears throat> uh, I say, can you write the letter, the number four? And they go, yeah, sure, I'll write the number four. And they can't. And then the first, their first reaction is to laugh afterwards. So that, to me, was really significant. That informed very much, I, I like maybe to pride myself on the fact that I play against things a lot but that pushed me even more in that direction you know they want they want it to be okay and then you see then the the person who's taking care of them is ends up having the reaction that you think the person who has dementia would have and that is the thing that makes it so complicated and so painful do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I think that's very well put. I, uh, I think what Stanley's talking about speaks to a very useful principle in acting, which is, you know, the best acting, and I think Stanley's portrayal of Tusker is a masterclass in this, is, as I think Stanley alluded to, you, you, the actor should do what the person would do. You know, the, the, the thing that, that you're struggling with, whether it's an illness or uh, an emotion, uh, or, or the thing, you know, you're you're usually trying to feel good, not bad. You know, I think quite a lot of bad acting and where it becomes a kind of strange exhibitionistic mess is when you see somebody trying to be sad. Um, you see somebody trying to be sick. You, most people aren't doing that. You know, most people aren't trying to be angry or trying to be um, whatever it is, is usually an obstacle and we were taught at drama school don't play the obstacle that's you know the obstacle is an obstacle the thing you're playing <laughs> is the overcoming of that obstacle yes it's like when you see 
an actor, you know, playing drunk. They're trying to be drunk. But, but a drunk person always tries not to be drunk. They don't try to be drunk. They are drunk. Yeah. But they try not to be drunk. Or you watch actors, like you said, try to cry. But actually, we all try not to cry. We all don't want to cry. It's, it hurts too much. So we try not to do it. So just try not to do it and... That's it. You, that'll be $5 for that acting class. <laughs> I'm taking it. I'm putting it in my pocket right now. <laughs> I think you might be overcharging. <laughs> <laughs> the other element of this film uh, that, that resonated for me in this particular moment was, um, you know, you're, you're in this van traveling together and you're in a lot of confined spaces and it's a lot of intense time spent together and with nobody else aside from um, one, you know, larger part of the movie, um, which obviously resonates uh, given the current state of things. Yes, I know. Um, yeah, it was sort of prescient, I suppose. Yeah. In, indeed. Um, was that re-watching the film, you know, you made it before, watching the film now um, and the way it portrays relationships in a way that uh, I'm sure will, will hit hard for many. Uh, was, was that an interesting experience for you, Colin, at all? That there, there does seem to be, I think there's an intensification of, you know, to their response because of the year that we've been having and still having. Yeah. Um, I think that will probably play out differently uh, with different people. But I think... Issues of isolation, issues of the importance of connectivity, of reaching people that are important to you, um, being away from the world in some way. Uh, these are all things which I think the film contains, which clearly resonate. Uh, and loss and grief and fear of that. Um, so I, I, I think people are, are very, very alert to those things. And I also I think, you know, there's... A lot of people are thinking about their values. I wanted to end by putting you both on the spot a little bit. Uh, you've known each other for a long time. Um, I'm sure you're fans of each other's work. Uh, do you have a favorite performance of each other's? Stanley, I'm going to start with you. No, that's very hard. Because he's awfully good consistently. Um, I've heard that. Yeah, I know. I know. Look, I, this is actually, I'm, I'm very glad you asked this because I still am, I remain unconvinced that he's seen any of it. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so this Big whole, uh, let all me right. see, they're all, all right. so I good. I seen everything. I'm yeah. sorry, you're very prolific. I've seen it all. Um, I, well, besides Mamma Mia, <laughs> we love, uh, I, I think uh, it's, it, honestly, that's a, it is a very hard question. You did put me on the spot. It is very hard. Um, I think that, um, I still, and maybe this is just when I, because I first met you and everything like that, but you've done so many brilliant performances, but I still go back to conspiracy because it was so complex what you had to get across. Uh, and the way you did it, the way you achieved it was, I, I, I don't even know how you, how you did it. Uh, for me, that's still... I still think about it. Extraordinary. Colin, it's to you. 
Well, it's, it's just as hard. I mean, also because Stanley is so extremely and conspicuously versatile um, that it's like comparing apples and oranges, you know, um, because there's some performances I'll admire for their subtlety and others I'll admire for their extreme lack thereof. Um, Shamelessness. So, I mean, yes. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, in, like, sitting opposite, because we had a lot of time to scrutinize each other in conspiracy because we were sitting across a table from each other for weeks. Uh, and, you know, Stanley was playing a very, very dark character with incredible subtlety and containment. You cannot believe the actor who is capable of the performance he gives in things like Hunger Games is the guy who sits there so quietly and doesn't about? seem to want to draw attention to himself. Subtle so Stanley, space. I think it's awards worthy for Stanley to even play a guy who doesn't want to draw attention to himself. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... So he has it's, he has a range not just in terms of different characters, but actually in terms of style of acting as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So I will go to conspiracy as well. I, it might is it cheating to say that his performance in Supernova is my favorite? I don't think that's cheating at all. Wow! Because I think it is. Wow! I think I think Stan has has um, I think he's surpassed himself here, which is quite a bar, a bar to surpass. Uh, I think his performance in Lovely Bones was extraordinary. In Big Night, um, you know, I. I even when the movie is unworthy of him, I think, you know, he's always... <laughs> and there are so many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he always makes it worthwhile. <laughs> well, you're very kind, and that's, that's enough of that, because I'm getting uncomfortable now. I can't think of a better, more lovely note to end on. Stanley Tucci, Colin Firth, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was a pleasure. Thank you. Experts make mistakes, even the awardist. So we're tracking our own progress on this chaotic awards journey by admitting what we're wrong about in our predictions and gloating about what we were right about. This week, we're going to talk last week's TV noms and put Jared on the spot. Jared, what were you right about and what were you wrong about? Um, I was definitely wrong about Emily in Paris. I did not <laughs> expect that to get nominations. Um, I think it's Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris. <laughs> yes, exactly. Boy, um, yeah, I did not see that one coming. Maybe I should have because it's Netflix and they dominated, uh, especially at the Golden Globes. Yeah, also at the SAG Awards. Um, I... I maybe didn't also expect as much love for Ratched, though I, I liked it more than most people, uh, and I think Sarah Paulson was great. I think there were actually some people on that who might have been a bit better than Sarah Paulson, but love you, Sarah Paulson. <laughs> um, I would have loved to have seen Judy Davis nominated. I think she was just fantastic in that. Um, yeah, so I think those were the ones that I maybe most surprised by. I was thrilled to see Kaylee Cuoco nominated for The Flight Attendant because she is everything in that show um, and and just operates at a certain level that I was exhausted for her. You know what I mean? Like she was just that that operating in it at an 11 the entire time and then, thank goodness, it kind of settled a bit toward the end and then it became more of this kind of like mystery caper kind of thing rather than just what is going on with this drunk woman um <laughs> so yeah those and and like we've said here ted lasso which i i think i uh, i think and pray um will uh will win some some big awards um because that one also i mean it is set in the world of you know 
football, as it's called everywhere else. And I think a lot of the foreign press will <laughs> like that as well. So maybe uh, that'll be top of mind for them. Uh, yeah. And, and I think Hugh Grant stands a good chance for the undoing that, that last episode of that. Um, I think he kind of sealed the deal there in many ways. So, um, yeah, those are the ones I'm really, really happy to see. Fantastic. And, and David, your thoughts? I mean, I don't know that much, but I have to say <laughs> I was thrillingly wrong about a very particular nomination. Cause as I mentioned, I just started watching the queen's gambit and the first few episodes, Bill Camp is mm. so fantastic mm. as Anya Taylor-Joy's mentor. Yeah. Uh, and I, I actually watched it and I said, God, this is the kind of performance that never gets recognition, but is so fantastic. And then of uh, this, this mm -hmm. SAG does not differentiate for TV between lead and supporting. Bill Camp somehow managed to appear among the five <laughs> actors nominated for limited series. And I was absolutely thrilled because he really deserves it a long-time yeah. great character actor. I feel like he's been in every crime drama on HBO <laughs> I've ever liked. So yeah. I was I, I was very explicitly wrong about that because I fully <laughs> audibly predicted to myself last week that he would not be nominated. And I was wrong. Um, and but it's nice to, to what see I would, actors recognize subtlety and craft and not just go for something showy and flashy. Exactly, exactly. And exactly. They, and they rarely do. I mean, yeah. it's just the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and... Another thing I was wrong about was Bridgerton not hitting with the Golden Globes because yeah, that just felt like that one. such so a Golden Globes Globes show yeah. to me. Yep. And, it, you know, we had talked about last week, we talked about Jared Leto and his <laughs> timing getting nominated for the little things of the movie coming out at just the right time. And one would think Bridgerton would fall into that kind of perfect timing window as well. It had been such a huge hit in the middle of voting. So I don't know what happened there. I mean, yeah, yeah I forgot yeah. to mention that one too, but I think maybe that one came out just a little too late and then they maybe didn't watch until, you know, once it was too late for them to, to go for it. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of one thing I was right about um, in SAG's female actor in a drama category, uh, I looked at it, then the contenders briefly, and I was like, I think this category is going to be all Netflix nominees. And I didn't think it would be, I thought actually Sarah Paulson would get in there. Instead, it's three crown actresses, uh, Emma Corrin, Gillian Anderson, and Olivia Coleman, and two Ozark actresses, um, I think both of whom were also nominated last year, Laura Linney and uh, Julia Garner. Um, so it's the first sign of complete Netflix dominance, which <laughs> continues more and more every award season. Uh, so that, that, those are my TV takeaways. Uh, Clarissa, were you watching anything that, that surprised you? Um, uh, yes. And I am going to take this platform because this is the only time on the awardist that I'm going to be able to talk about this project, but, uh, Cobra Kai got mm. <laughs> nominated for best stunt, stunt ensemble and, mm -hmm. um, and they totally deserve that. So I am not surprised by that, but I am, I am, I'm very pleased. Um, <laughs> you and Kristen Baldwin both. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I will, I will always stand for Cobra Kai. Um, and then um, what I was disappointed by, which, um, which, you know, relates to my Cobra Kai delusion um, that uh, William Zabka was not nominated because <laughs> he plays Johnny Lawrence and is the heart of that show. And I don't yeah. think anybody uh, would be watching it if he wasn't in it. So I think he deserved a, a little bit more, more props on that end. He's, um, he's really funny. <laughs> He is. He's really he is. funny on it. I mean, he is the comedy of, yeah, he missed opportunity there. Yeah. 
Exactly. Thank um, you, Jared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is back. the last time Cobra Kai will ever be mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> you have to so indulge you, me you, on that one. Indulge you me. Took up the time well, Clarissa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is all from us today. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Awardist. And thanks to Jared for his insights into the wild world of television. Please subscribe and listen along every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, tell us what you think, share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com slash awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race and some TV races as well. And follow me on Twitter at DavidCampfield97, Clarissa at ClarissaNYC1, and Jared at Jared Hall. We'll be back next week with more, including our critics picks for the 2021 Oscar contenders. She isn't always so nice, Leah Greenblatt, <laughs> and an interview with Stephen Yun of Minari, who uh, we are all pulling for, even as we have had some disagreements over his categorization. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been The Awardist. <laughs>